Bloody Elbow presents the Hey, Not the Face podcast. Your host is Bloody Elbow's chief financial columnist, John Nash. Hello and welcome to Hey, Not the Face with your host, John Nash, and your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And today we're going to talk about UFC contracts. John, how the hell are you? Good, good. Hopefully I don't cough too much. As I don't know if people know I'm, I'm recovering from uh, being sick for a while. So, Yikes. Did, you, did the COVID yes. get you or do you just have the flu? Uh, well, I had, I had COVID, oh. so, but, but not bad, not bad, but still, you have this lingering cough. So let's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to stick to it for the, for the, for the listeners out there. Gritting your teeth, uh, biting down on your mouthpiece. Yeah. Whatever, whatever slang, whatever catchphrase you want to use. Yes. That's what I'm. All right. So the first thing I want to note here, <laughs> boy, this was a doozy because when you sent me the information over and you sent the various contracts over, there were 113 pages. Yeah, and that's, and I'll tell was, you the truth, from the original document source, that's just a small, really the total documents is like 600 pages. So I just went with the material that we need today. Yeah, 113 pages. So I'm going to give you guys some numbers for our listeners. You know, I want you to know the links of the different contracts that we We'll either talk about in depth or maybe touch on and then continue because this is going to be a series of about two or three episodes to cover all the contracts, maybe more, but at least two or three episodes. So my first uh, notation here, bout agreements are six pages long. Contender series contracts are 22 pages long. A regular contract is 32 pages long. A UFC promotional guideline agreement is 16 pages long. Now, John, I want you to do me a favor and tell me what is the difference in these in these various agreements, contracts, these pieces of paper that I'm looking at. For instance, what's about agreement? Now, I know what well, this is, but for everybody else, really lay it out for us. A bout agreement is the signed contract because fighters are independent contractors. You can't make, you can't tell them what to do. I mean, we all know the UFC does tell them what to do, but you technically can't tell fighters, boxers, whatever, what to do. They, because they're going to get into, into, into hand-to-hand combat with another person, they have to make a mutual decision. And, and that requires them to sign a specific bout agreement saying, we are going to fight. That's the agreement. The overall promotional agreement, the regular contract, is that I'm going to be your promoter during the span. But an individual fight requires a bout agreement. So fighters have to sign that bout agreement. And because of various state regulations and stuff and various uh, – the Ali Act came into effect for boxing. There's certain elements that bout agreements require. So that's what the bout agreement – you have your normal contract. But if you're going to get into a fight, you get a second mini contract that says, I'm going to fight this person at this weight on this date. All right. And then there's something else here that I did not mention, but we should – there's also something called a side letter. And for new listeners, John, 
Tell me about a side letter, please. A side letter is a an additional contract that's not part of the original contract. And a side letter is usually an extra payment that a fighter gets that's not part of the regular payment. In other words, you know how you'll have in a contract, I get uh, 100000 to, uh, to show up and then 100000 win bonus if I win or pay-per-view points. But a side letter for bigger name fighters might say, in addition to that money that I get paid on the night of the fight, my regular contract, I get, let's say, half a million dollars extra or a million dollars extra that will be mailed to me X number of weeks after the bout. And that's a side letter. Okay. All right. Now, the other thing I want you to talk about a little bit is a UFC promotional guideline agreement. What is that? And is this a part of a regular contract, a part of a bout agreement? Um, just tell me what, where this ends up. Well, the promotional guideline agreement started with the Reebok deal. And what that is, is the agreement that what the fighters are expected to do as part of like the athletic kit and promotion, promoting for the event. In, in, in exchange, they get the payments from the Reebok or whatever, whatever the outfitter policy payments are now, you know, for the Venom deal. But it includes all these things about how they have to behave, but also what they have to wear, what kind of their kit outfit materials they get, what type of promotional they have to do for the week of the fight, before the fight. So that's all laid out in that policy. And that's a separate guideline that's given. It started, I believe, 2016 was the first one. I could be mistaken. It could be 2015, but I, no, I think 2006, no, uh, 2015 or 16 in that was, ballpark. If you're looking at when the Reebok deal kicked in, it was 2015. And then the sale happened, I believe, in 2016. Yes. Uh, my, my mind's discombobulated <laughs> here. So, but anyways, that, it started that every few years they update it and change it. And so the one that we included in this is from 2018. Okay. All right. So 16 pages. Does this end up in a regular contract, though? Yes, maybe? Well, it, it, the, those materials don't end up in a regular contract. Okay. They're usually attached, but it says it, it's referred to in the regular contract. Like, you have to follow the policies okay. in the guideline. Okay. All right. Now, other questions. Where yes. did we get these contracts, these agreements, et cetera? All this came from the Tyler Santos lawsuit with her manager. Her manager was suing her, and he filed in Brazil and uh, Guillermo Cruz in uh, MMA Fighting wrote an article about this. And I saw that and I thought those contracts have to be, you know, they're in the court system. That's where he said he got it. So I contacted someone I know who can get a hold of, you know, the get, get involved in the Brazilian court system and download it for me and send it to me. And that's where I got these from, uh, which is great because. I mean, this might not be a lot of new information for a lot of people because we've talked about this stuff in other contracts I've had, but now we can share the contract with someone, with the, the listeners out there, and they can go through and read it themselves with us. Awesome, awesome. Okay, some terms. Well, basically one term I wanted you to explain. What is a recital? Now, that's not a term that's in these documents, but it's something that you should probably let us know about because I'm just finding out myself right before we started recording. So tell us what a recital is. Well, the recital is just what precedes the main text in the contract. Okay. Uh, it's, it's often called the whereas clause, whereas, you know, that this is what the purpose of the contract is. So that's all it is. So we'll we'll uh, we go really quickly. If people are listening, we should have a link to the to the material. You can click the link, download the PDF with the contract, so you can go along with us. 
And if you want to go, we're going to go through the contract. It's going to start on what, page 30, I believe? Yes, page 30. And oh. at the top, it's uh, section 1.3. Okay, so section 1.3, that's, uh, well, one point, well, the, actually, the first one, we're going to do the recital on the first page. Okay. Which is page 30, I believe, what you just brought up. And all that is, the recital is, what's interesting about this, this recital wasn't in the older, you know, the, uh, in many ways, we're kind of imitating, remember Jonathan Snowden broke down the, the Eddie Alvarez contract? Mm -hmm. This is basically an update to that in many ways. So you look at it, the Eddie Alvarez contract was kind of a template for years. I have contracts from 2011 to 2000, early 2017. I have that period of contracts covered. They're all very, very similar. And from 2017 to now, they're all very similar. They're almost identical to the one we're looking at. And all met this uh, recital at the beginning, as we mentioned. And this recital, if you read through it, what's interesting about it, it basically describes the UFC as what's called a two-sided market, where the fighters are a user of the market just as the fans are. In other words, the UFC is just there as kind of a middleman to bring the two together. And what I found interesting about that, and is, as you know, there's an ongoing antitrust lawsuit. This is the argument in the ruling of Ohio versus American Express, where the court accepted that as a two-sided market, they weren't liable for the damages caused by, you know, because the two, they're basically just saying we're bringing the two sides together. We are not engaging in uh, market power. And so I read that, that looks like some sort of attempt by the UFC to, to protect themselves in the same way that the Ohio versus American Express case ruling was. But it's, I don't know if it's a given, but it's something it seems to do. And I found it interesting, but that no one else might find that interesting. I find it interesting. <laughs> but it's, but I find it most interesting because it's something new. It wasn't in the old, they obviously put it in there for a reason. So we can move on though. So that's that, that's the recital. All right. Tell me about section 1.3. It says each bout shall be a MMA contest, one-on-one -on -one fight between fighter and an opponent designated by Zufa, subject to fighter approval, not to be unreasonably withheld, delayed, or conditioned and exercised in accordance with this agreement. I need to know what unreasonably withheld means. What is unreasonable? Well, I, I do not know what unreasonable. I think it's left a little, it's left a little up in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's basically, if you go through this whole section, uh, what the whole section, this is uh, section one, our, our section one would grants the right to promote fighters, basically talking about the UFC's rights to be the promoter of the fighter. You'll notice section 1.3, what you just read, 1.4, you go down it. If the UFC is very protecting these, especially like, uh, in one section, it says, uh, the next very next section, 1.4, Zufa shall promote and fighters shall participate in a minimum number of bout sets. That's part of the contract. Mm -hmm. If a bout in the undercard to a main event and the main event is canceled or suspended for any reason, the failure of such bout to take place shall not be deemed non-performance by Zufa. So there's a lot, you'll see a lot of language like that where the U, UFC is protected if anything happens. Now, so basically, they're protecting themselves from having to pay this fighter. They're saying, this is not our fault. Yeah, they're, they're saying, listen, if we booked you to an event, you are tied to that main event. If something happens to the main event, we can cancel your fight, move it, the card, whatever, and you can't, we can't be held liable. We can't, we are not required to hold an event with you right now. So we can, we can move the fight. Um, can they same cancel with the, it? What's that? And they can, oh, they, they can cancel the event. There's later, you'll see later that no, they can but cancel. but can they cancel a, a fight that's already been booked? 
Oh yes, they can cancel if let's say Anthony if the, Smith. Anthony Smith's fight just yes. got canceled. Tell me. Yeah, exactly. Anthony Smith. I'm not sure they had an about agreement yet, but even if they had a about agreement for any reason, they can they can cancel the fights. The fights can be canceled. Wow. I just the way they worded shall not be deemed non-performance. They really make it intricate and hard to discern what exactly they're saying. Exactly. Well, and then if you look too, it's like, uh, in addition, it's the, the UFC also gets started. They're the person that dictates where the fight's going to take place and when the fighter has no say in that. And, and if you want to go further down in this whole section, the right to promote, one that I know you always bring up a lot, Fighters shall not participate in or render yeah. fighter services yeah. as a professional fighter for any other capacity of any other mixed martial arts, martial art, boxing, professional wrestling, or any other fighting competition. I so they have the right. You are not allowed to do other activities without the UFC permission. That is crazy that they put professional wrestling in there. It's not even a freaking sport. Why? Well, Why? Well, I, I, the argument, of course, would be that yeah. there's a risk to the fighter. So is driving that, a car, taking a flight. Anything, I mean, the, oh my goodness, just being in the gym and sparring, I think that's a lot more dangerous, but okay. All right. Well, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's kind of standard in boxing often has that, yeah. that you can't do other stuff, but it, it's not as all encompassing as the UFC with other yeah. boxing and promotion. And eventually we'll get to other promoters. So we'll see how, how much a lot of them incorporate UFC stuff. Uh, if you get to 1.7, people go down. The other thing is you're allowed to take other bouts, right, right, with UFC, but you have to get permission. So if you want to fight, you can even ask to fight for another MMA promotion, right? Sure. But they have to give you permission. And you'll see that sometimes where they release a fighter, they don't really release them, but they let them go fight, you know, on some sort of regional promotion and then come back to the UFC. It's not as common, but it's it's happened. You can also go do, like, they could let you go do a jiu-jitsu tournament or mm. something like that. Yeah, we see a lot of that. But what's interesting about this is if you go do that, people don't know. Later, we'll get to it. They can extend your contract four months if they agree to let you have this fight. Oh, my God. Okay, that's brand new information. <laughs> Holy crap. Can we start there? <laughs> I like that. You you have already opened the can of worms. You should go ahead and talk about it. Well, that's – I mean, we'll get to it later. There's a lot of other stuff. But they oh, if, you, if you take another bout, your contract's extended four months, giving them more time – to offer you your other fights the fights that you have on contract all right i'm seeing something interesting here on 1.9 about the belts talk mm -hmm. to me about that well if you read this it's 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 interesting is if you listen to mark wayne mullen's testimony or his hearing when he was uh, talking about the epstein uh, about the ali act that the ufc doesn't consider their titles real world titles. They, he, that's what the, Mark Wimon said. And we've heard this before. Uh, remember, Dana White said about when BJ Penn was doing the UFC back in 2004, uh, that the UFC, that there, it's, not a real, it's not a real title, it's a trophy. It's the, and as Epstein said, it's the trophy awarded the best fighter that night. And they make it clear, the belt, any such fighter that obtains any, oh wait, any belt the fighter obtains on loan and at all times remains property of the UFC. Additionally, Fighter expresses knowledge and agrees that Zupa is not a sanctioning organization, and the title and Fighter does not possess and cannot assert any property rights or similar legal interest in the belt. And the UFC title status as a or UFC title stat or UFC status as a UFC champion. And this refers to this is very much directed at boxing, where there's sanctioning organizations the crown. 
boxers, they, there's been cases about this loss. I mean, uh, legal cases decided this, that boxers have a legal, that their, their ranking is their property right, that they own their ranking. So you can't just come and take their ranking away from them, especially a, like a promoter. But here the UFC says you have no property rights. You are not the champ. You are the champion only because the UFC is granted it, not because you actually won the belt. Holy crap. Well, so it's, it, it, to this, me, it's this is this, something we've known for a long time, actually. So. I know, but it, just having it laid out in black and white like that is really startling. I don't know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I'll keep it. This, you know, there's more. there's more. I will know. It's interesting. Since the lawsuit, we'll get to a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff different from the older contracts. Some of it's better. Some of it's just the same. But it's it's different. I, this part here, um, referring back to the belt situation, to withdraw recognition from fighter of any UFC title or status as a UFC champion and require the return of any belt in fighter's possession. Holy yes. crap. Demetrius Johnson had 13 of them. Well, see, that's a little different because what Demetrius Johnson did, the UFC gifted him those titles. Ah. They actually gave him his title, but those weren't the real titles. What they're saying is there's no such there's, there's no, no such thing as a real title. It's our title. And and it became this what happened is Demetrius Johnson, because the UFC was awarding a new belt every basically claiming it's a new title every night, he said, Well, if it's a new title every night, why don't I get a new belt every time? And so the UFC started awarding them. And then they started saying, it's getting costing a lot to keep making these belts. We're going to start putting a gem every time a fighter defends so we don't have to give a new title. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All right. Let's talk about Section 2, Grant of Ancillary Rights. Talk about yes. that. Well, what's interesting this is this was in the older one, but this, is, this has been updated, uh, especially some of the uh, – I think this and the next – uh, the next section is an update to the previous contracts because while well, it talks about granting auxiliary rights, the right the UFC to you know basically to make money on all your 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 uh, image rights and stuff, it wasn't spelled out much. It just gave the UFC the right, but you used to sign an addendum that spelled out how the merchandise deal would work. In other words, what your percentages would be, your compensation, you know what uh, what sort of rights they have on certain stuff. It was, it was more just generally broad. Here they're more specific how. That you have event merchandise. What's the event merchandise? Uh, that event merchandise is. We're going to get to that later. It's a whole, remember event merchandise because we will get to this later. Is the merchandise derived and created and sold in connection with a specific event? Then there's fighters' identity they get to use. Um, you know all the stuff that these fighters' identity sell merchandise for. There's the licensed video game and then merchandise like you know the hoodies, the jerseys, stuff like that, the kits. So all that they also can collect personal data now. This is new where they can ask the fighter to come in and they collect your personal data with the capture, um, you know, capture software for video games, and other stuff before that wasn't part of the contract. Now it's part of the contract. You have to come in and get that recorded. They ask for you. I know this has been happening for a long time and we have discussed it a lot, but the idea that the fighters are just giving away so much of their personal rights, their image rights, et cetera, that they have to wear the shoes, the uniform, especially the shoes that they're not getting paid for the crypto logos on everything that they're not getting paid for. And here the, you know, whatever their deals are, do you think the lower, the lower tier fighters are getting any, any kind of percentage off of any of their image rights? I doubt it. Very little. I mean, for, for fighting, it's common, like for your image rights, when you when a, when a top rank anybody signs you, 
they get your image rights to that fight for perpetuity. You are selling them the right to, unless you're a big name Canelo or uh, Mayweather, I'm sure they have, Mayweather, I know it does, has clauses where he gets some of his rights back yeah. and he sells his, his fights himself in the future. But for, for most fighters, you sell your right, the promoter owns the rights to that fight in perpetuity. He can sell it, make as much money as he can off that fight. What's different about the UFC is they're saying, we don't right. just have the right, your rights to your fight. We have the rights to your image to use in other products and stuff, to use outside not, that event. And it's not just exclusive to a specific event either. No, no, not at all. They're, we're saying, listen, we are going to tie you to our, our video game. We're going to tie you to uh, uh, our clothing line. We're going to tie you to a toy line. Whatever it is, you gave us the right to sell that as soon as you sign up the UFC. And it's written here in black and white. It specifically says... Fighter hereby grants to Zufa the worldwide unrestricted rights to exploit, they use the word exploit, by any means, method of distribution, medium, device, and technology now known or hereafter developed, including, without limitation, the right to record, broadcast, rebroadcast, telecast, stream, live or delayed, interact, exhibit, display, disseminate, edit, reproduce, print, film, photograph, publish, create derivatives of, translate, advertise, market, promote, sell, assign, lease, sublease, license, and or sublicense, collectively, in quotations, use, fighter's identity for or related to the staging, promotion, or other exploitation of the bouts, pre-bout events, post-bout events, the promotional appearances, any other UFC events, and UFC content. Well, as bad as that sounds, that's actually pretty common language uh, when regard to like a, a, a bout for a fight, like Top Rank will have it, uh, Golden Boy, the, the identity for the fight. But again, we got back. The thing is interesting is because the grant of the identity is we are not talking about just we have that right. long list of stuff, UFC content, UFC event, video games, merchandise. We have that long list of stuff they can use it in. And so that's where it's it's really all encompassing because it was just the material in the fight. Yeah, it would be one thing, but they have this this right to use it on on trying to distribute and sell it on all these matters because you've given them the right to to sell your merchandise. So but now it's not exclusive. You look through it, you'll see it's not the like for merchandise. They they're not the exclusive rights to your your image for merchandise. You can sell merchandise elsewhere, but they have the right to your merchandise, and then they can put it on UFC branded logo. But that makes it sometimes hard for other fighters because it's like, well, people are like, I associate with the UFC, I want you on the UFC branded t-shirt, not your own t-shirt, right? right. Without, without the UFC brand on it, the UFC belt, it's not quite as a valuable of merchandise property, especially if you're a champion or something. You can't, you're not allowed to use the UFC title and, and call it yourself a UFC champion in the promotion of your own stuff so you lose that and so that's one thing uh and it just you know it, again it, it's a just a long laundry list of stuff that they get to use it for they get to they get to the monetize it's a it's a very good business for them but and not I mean I, for I mean for a lot of fighters sure it's it's not it's probably not 
hurting them too bad because they're not making a lot. But for the fighters that can make merchandise deals, that can make money on this, they are taking a massive hit off this. I'm just stunned at how all-encompassing it really is. I mean, they put everything in the book in here. It's amazing, actually. All right, I want to go down to section 2.4, merchandise rights. Talk to me about that, please. Okay, so this is the rights the fighter hereby grants Zupa during the terms of the non-exclusive World War right to use fighter's identity. This is what I was just talking about. It's a non-exclusive, but they can sell the fighter's rights. Uh, the same with the next one, 2.9, the video game. But this one is exclusive rights. You can you cannot sell your video game rights to anybody else. Why you're at the UFC, they go to the UFC. And here's something new, just a little further down. The video game rights, though, this is something they added. It was in the old one contract, although it was an addendum, the video game rights. It said, you know, in the contract, it said they had the right to your, your image rights for video games. But the addendum was the video game itself. In, in this contract, explicitly lays out, the video game rights last for three years after your contract is terminated. So it's not perpetuity anymore. But the, I am seeing a lot of the word perpetuity in some of these things. Oh, yeah. For and some of them. But, but, but generally, the perpetuity relates to the fight itself, right. the material of you having the fight. So, um, and uh, so, like, if you know, if they, if they shoot you in a fight and they can sell that, you know, 30 years in the future, they still own the rights to sell that fight to make money. But your image rights, putting you into a video game, they only retain those rights for three years after your contract is terminated. Before, though, remember, the, I mean, that was the old uh, John Fitch thing. It was perpetuity, and he did not like that idea. Right. So, but the other thing about the image rights, too, is they can package, unlike some people, they can package, they, they can take your rights. I mean, a good example is, remember that Super Bowl ad with Dustin Poirier a few years back? Mm hmm And they had footage of him beating Conor McGregor. Yeah. Now, they can't take your footage and make you endorse a product you don't endorse, the UFC. But they could take Conor McGregor's footage and put him in that 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 commercial with Dustin Poirier getting beat up. And, and Conor McGregor didn't get a penny from that ad because that's their right. They own that, that footage, Ooh. that right to, to use it, monetize it any way they, they want. Ugh. And so bigger, you know, like in boxing, some bigger boxers will have certain, they'll have control over that, that you have limits on what your promoter can do with that material. Let's go down to section 2.7. This really stuck out to me. Tattoo rights. Yeah, that's something new. Wasn't in the older contracts. Tattoo rights because they ran into problems with tattoos. They now, you know, they now put it. The impetus is on the fighter to make sure that the UFC has the rights to those tattoos, the right to use them, reproduce them. Wait, huh? Well, before, you know, because people declare that they have... uh, uh, that tattoos are are copyright, and that the they, that the tattoo artist owns it, right? Uh-huh. And here they're saying that UFC, when you fight for the UFC, you are granting them the right to that that uh, to, to be to use that, reproduce that tattoo. And so, oh. uh, in many ways, because the fighter's granting it, it's like it's not the UFC's responsibility now any longer. If someone comes after and says, "I own that tattoo image," so they're putting it on the fighter. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, that's what they always do. It's always oh, on the fighter. Wow. Section 2.8.1, for a period of two years following the expiration or termination of this agreement or termination of specific sections and rights hereunder, Zufa may directly or through third parties continue to create, develop, manufacture, distribute, blah, 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 your content. 
basically, in a nutshell. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, this is new. What this does is your contract is up to the UFC, but they still have the right for two additional years to do whatever they want, to do the same stuff with your image rights, to basically sell it, make money. Now, this is better than what it was. Again, it used to be perpetuity that they give the rights forever. Now it's a two-year max and then reverts the fighter. But during those two years, they can still they can still sell the rights. And what's interesting, too, it includes video game. So the UFC owns your video game rights for three years. But let's say a new video game pops out a year and a half after your contract terminates. They still re they can now put those images in that new video game for another year and a half. Section three, marketing and publicity. What's important here? Well, it basically talks about a lot of the same stuff where they could use the fighter's images to market and stuff. Uh, but the fighter also has some responsibilities about the fighter, how the fighter has to cooperate with the advertising and promotion. So the fighter has to, you know, they have to they have to cooperate and assist in the advertising, uh, I guess, publicity and promotion of a UFC brand, the merchandise, event merchandise. What's interesting with this, it doesn't talk specifically about just the fight because we will get later in a bout agreement and stuff that has specific stuff in the, the promotional guidelines, what you have to do for that event. But here it says the UFC, the fighters have to also help promote not just the bout, but also merchandise, the UFC brand, uh, and uh, licensed video games. So technically, this contract, I've heard from managers and fighters, uh, there's some squabbling back and forth. But the UFC asks you to show up, let's say, and for a UFC-branded event, you know, just to promote the UFC brand, you, sometimes you got to show up. You feel it's in your contract. You have to show up and just promote the UFC. Do they provide now, the, the, the travel for them? They provide the travel. That's okay. the only thing. But they 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 will compensate fighters for that. In fact, fighters make uh, Jake Matthews talk about it, and that's where he gets probably a lot of his compensation doing these promotional gigs for the UFC on the side. But it's not contractually obligated. It's something that's negotiated on the side in the UFC. But so it's obviously in the UFC's favor. They have this leverage over the fighters, uh, but they pay them enough so there's there's not a lot of backlash and not you know they don't want a lot of disgruntled fighters. But in the past, remember. Roger Huerta was being sent out yes. because he got paid nothing. Yes. And so he was it's in the promotional it. rights. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, he was really getting hosed. So they, they're better than that they pay fighters for this stuff now, but it's still in the contract saying you, you're kind of responsible for doing that. Uh, we will say, too, is that even though it doesn't call for specific payment, they do say you are, you are eligible for a payment for the video game. What's interesting, it's what is the payment is completely up to the discretion of the UFC. So they could give you nickels and dimes if they wanted oh, to. Oh, easily, yes, yes, easily. I'm sure they, you know, they they don't quite give you nickels and dimes, but they're it's again, it's in the UFC's favor. And if you look at three point three, that's something new in the, these contracts. That's something that probably looks like it's addressing some from the antitrust lawsuit. Is that Zufa before they wouldn't give you know fighters a complaint they got no footage, nothing. Zufa now says that they agreed to provide fighters with up to three still images or three clips, video clips of for fighters to use for themselves on their own you know their website for their own promotion now you if you leave the ufc reading that you can't take that footage then use it for a promo but you can use it on your own website to promote yourself and that was always a complaint a lot of fighters had is they're not allowed to use their material for their own documentaries or their own uh just for their general promotion themselves when they go on you know they have to beg to get material when they go on a, a local news program to talk just about themselves from the ufc so this is this is something new and positive for fighters maybe not it's not groundbreaking it's not massive but it is new 
Yeah, but it's you get access to th only three clips, and each clip can only be twenty seconds in duration. I'm not saying it's a lot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully, you get a good clip. Hopefully, it's not you and the other guy just staring at each other in the cage. All right, let's move into section four. Term. This agreement shall commence on the effective date and unless terminated earlier, pursuant to the provisions of this agreement, shall end on the earlier of one, 20 months after the first bout promoted by Zufa involving fighter under this agreement, or two, the date on which fighter has participated in at least four bouts. And they call this, in quotation, minimum bouts. Please tell me what's important about that section. Well, this is the basic contract term. So, you know, we always hear like uh, that Nate Diaz got a five-fight, 24-month deal. Remember that? It ended up being six years. So that's the term. You know, it's one thing it doesn't say, and we'll go through it. doesn't say minimum amount of bouts per year they have to offer you, when they have to offer you a fight. There's no three-fight-per-year minimum in the entire Nothing. contract. Nope. Doesn't doesn't say that. But it says we have to give you five fights in over uh, 20 months. Now, the first fight is when the contract starts. So that means over the next 20 months, they have 20 months to give you the other four contracts, which averages out to about five months of fight. But we're going to get to the tolling provisions later. It's really hard. It's really easy for the UFC to extend that contract that they want. And it's really hard for a fighter to get the fights in the, in the timely manner they want if they if they're if the UFC does not feel compelled to give it to them. And so that's, that's the duration of the contract. And, and so it's, it's, we're going to go through the, we'll, we'll talk a little later about what happens if the UFC doesn't honor this part. That'll be later in the, the contract. We'll get to how the, the, how it's decided. But for right now, it's, you have four fights, five fights, 20 months. So after your, it's the contract starts your first fight. So you have four fights over 20 months. That's what the UFC supposedly owes you. And again, they get to pick the date, the time, the opponent. They get all that choice. Um, but the interesting part, if you just go to the next start, part, section 4.2, in the event the fighter is offered but does not approve an opponent designated by Zufa, such fail that at that point, the UFC may extend the terms of this agreement for a period required to designate another opponent approved by the fighter or for six months. In other words, we're going to offer you a fighter. You don't like him. Well, the contract's automatically extended either six months or until you approve, we offer you another fighter that you approve. Now, this is in the old contract, and this is a tolling for the last forever, but what's very interesting, what's new, is you look at the last sentence in that provision, whichever's long, but such extensions not to exceed 18 months. In other words, before, they could do that forever. They did yeah. that with Nate Diaz forever, right? Now, 18 months is the max amount of time they can keep offering you fighters fights and you turning down the opponent and after the 18 months they can no longer extend your contract anymore for that that's awesome that's a that, really big big uh alteration in the contract i like that, that i've seen that in several contracts but there's a few contracts i see that didn't have that so i do not know if that was a change on a specific date or just a certain number of contracts have it, but the majority seem to have this okay all right 4.2.2 2. if at any time during the term Fighter participates in an other bout in the manner permitted under Section 1.7. The term may be extended by Zufa for an additional four months. What is that? That's exactly what we talked about earlier. If you do like a jiu-jitsu match or some other bout, ah, okay, the okay. UFC can extend this contract for four months. So this is where I was supposed to ask you about the extension. 
Okay. All right. Well, exactly. That's why I said we we're going to get to it later. We this got to it. it. So now we can check that off the list of stuff we got to talk about. Um, and if you go on the next one, if the if the at any time during the contract the term fighters unable or unwilling to compete for a period of time, and this includes if the fighter is disabled, sick, injured oh. for any reason, whatever reason the fighter can't make it, the term shall be automatically extended um, for the longer of the period of which is. The, the length time the fighter is out or six months, whatever one is longer. Now, this one, unlike the previous one where you turned on an opponent, this one can be extended again and again and again. There's no 18-month cap to that. Wow. And I mean, the words without limitation really sucks. Fighter is disabled, sick, injured. And then it, and then it says, for any reason incarcerated, suspended, revoked by an athletic commission, has fighters' ability to travel restricted by a government agency or is otherwise unable, unwilling, or refuses to compete or train for about for any reason whatsoever. That language is so bad. Well, it also shows you how easy it is to extend it if they really want because if you're suspended, if the, if the an athletic commission suspends you because, let's say, injury... And it's the UFC, they have to wait a certain amount of time, but they can offer you then a fight. You're injured, right? You can't take that fight. We can add six months to the contract. You are, you're in Gano, you're out of town, you don't have a visa. We can offer you the fight. Like, I can't, I need a visa. You have to do it for me. I can't, oh, sorry, you're six more months. So it's, it's easy with the UFC's position if they really want to, to find ways to extend your contract. And there are some really just almost hilarious email exchanges involving Joe Silva back in the day where they're just throwing extensions from the we got from the antitrust case on people just to keep, you know, like, oh, I forgot to give this guy a fight. Just throw a six-month extension on him, an injury extension. Let's move on. <gasps> wow. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah. Tim Bissell had a piece on that from uh, he took from the antitrust lawsuit. So if you look it up, you'll see some of the stuff that they were doing back then. Now, it's supposedly not as bad now. You don't hear it as much. But back then, they were just handing out extensions like candy. All right. Now we're getting to the meat and potatoes here. Section 4.3 is screaming at me right now because this is the champion clause. Please talk a little bit about this, sir. Well, it's uh, we've talked about before. It's been posted several times. It, what it is, if if at the at the extra, at the uh, at the expiration of the term of your contract and the fighter is a UFC champion, the term shall automatically be extended for a period commencing on the last date of the term. So when your contract's up. From that point, we're going to add on and ending at the earlier of either one year or three fights. So that's different. The old one back in years ago, about ten years ago, the old contract said would be the would be the lo- the longer of one year or three fights. So you couldn't just wait a year. It'd be you know the the three fights. It'd be like okay, the three fights are going to take longer. That's the duration of the contract. Now note these these fights are still under the same rules of the previous fight. So if the UFC offers you a fight, right, and you turn it down, they can extend the contract still six months probably based on this. If you're injured, they can extend it. So one fight, one year, three years, it sounds like it's a hard cap, but it's not a hundred. You know, at some point it'll have to be probably litigated to know for sure, but you could probably interpret that the UFC considers that they could offer, they can still add tolling provisions to this contract. All right, we got two more sections before we wrap this this uh, this podcast up, and then uh, we'll save bout agreements and stuff like that for the next one. But the, these next two sections here, this 
talks about the sunset provision. Now that it's not referred to as such here, but please go over for our listeners that may be tuning in for the first time. Section 4.3.2 basically gives us our sunset provision. So explain what that is and how this uh, section 4.3.2 breaks down. Okay, well, I'm going to read it to everybody. Notwithstanding the foregoing, the agreement will not be extended pursuant to this section four beyond the date, which is five years after the effective date of this agreement. So basically what that, con- this is this is new. This is not in the old contracts. This started in mid-2017. Uh, for all reasons, that logical reasons, we assume, and it seems pretty obvious that this was inserted because of the antitrust lawsuit, because the complaint before was the contracts could last forever. What this says is, all those extensions in 4.2, the tolling provisions for you know turning down opponents, the tolling provisions for being injured, the champion clause, all that stuff can be added to your contract. But what, notwithstanding the foregoing, they're all limited by this section that says five-year maximum. So even if your tolling provisions go past five years, add, add on to your contract, so it's longer than five years, the five years from the start of your contract, the effect date is the end of the contract, no matter what tolling provisions have been added. Now, if you go to the very next, there's one exception to this. That is if you're fighting and don't retire. 4.4, the very next thing, the very next section, if at any time during the term, fighter decides to retire from MMA or other professional fighting competition, and this, this suspend the term for a period of such retirement or disability, such suspension not to exceed five years. So if you're not fighting, if you retire, the contract is frozen. Now, the, the before, remember that the retirement uh, clause was in perpetuity. Nick, Nick Diaz was frozen for like seven years yeah. under contract. That lasted forever. Now they say if you're going to retire, there's a five-year max. But here's kind of the, the, the interesting part of it. You read this. They look to be separate tracks. So you have Conor McGregor recently. Did he retire to do the enhanced, to get out of USADA so he could possibly re- recover through uh, using, you know, draw, you know, draw, uh, uh, banned substances. Is that what he did? If he did, then his five-year sunset might not be exactly in five years because there's a separate track for the retirement, it looks like. Also, okay, since we're discussing this, I saw you comment on George St. Pierre's uh, statements that he was done, he was free and clear because it had been five years, blah, blah, blah. And you made a statement that really made my ears perk up a little bit. And you said, that might not necessarily be the case. It might extend, be uh, the, the contract might end up being five years from his last fight. Am, am I relaying this yeah. correctly? I talked about that earlier. The contract starts when your fight, your contract starts on the commencement. In other words, the contract commences on your first fight. It doesn't start when you sign the contract. That's the point it's, right there. It starts when you have your, your first fight. And so five years from then. Think about uh, GSP is he might be a free agent. I don't know if the UFC has sent him a letter. You know, they've exchanged some sort of letter acknowledging it. But the, the question, did he ever officially retire? If he didn't officially retire, then yes, the sunset provision should have kicked in and if not uh yeah should have kicked in at the you know whenever he fought the five-year anniversary of fighting Bisping. but if if he did officially retire and he still retired then that then he's not out of that contract because there's a there's another suspension period that starts with retirement so the suspension period that starts with retirement is six months right 
No, the suspension of retirement can be up to five. If you oh, retire, your contract's frozen, just freezes. And the sunset provision for the retirement is five years. Okay, okay. That's that's the part I needed a little clarification on. Really riveting stuff in these contracts, I will say that. So we are going to save the meaty parts of the bout agreements and our contender series contracts and even break down UFC promotional guidelines as well in our next couple of episodes. But for now, that's going to wrap up this episode. So, John, tell us what you got going on, where we can find you, all the good stuff. Well, I guess you're going to find me back here talking about contracts. This is never going to end. This is uh, We're halfway through this one. we got to finish this. The other ones will go faster because they just build on the same stuff. So, right. uh, But you can find me on uh, – I'm on If the Shoes Fit uh, with Alexi Olin's a non-MMA. We talk politics and PR and stuff. So if you're into that, we that, that's a show uh, hosted by Alexi Old. I'm on Care Don't Care where I just – I mean, I just ran away with it again for another year. Uh podcast on Bloody Elbow where we, we just really don't pay much attention to fights and just randomly pick them. But, it, but apparently I'm very good at randomly picking fights. And you can occasionally find some articles I do on Bloody Elbow – I don't know when the next one's coming, but uh, I'll probably right after the holidays. And then finally, on Twitter, you can find me at Hey Not the Face. You know, he and- talks about this running, winning laps after having lost like the last three weeks in a row. And my my weeks, lead was insurmountable. Insurmountable dude, lead going dude, to this. We are so neck and neck. What are you even talking about? Oh, I'm going to look that. I, I don't believe that. We're going to have to talk to Pete and Finley <laughs> about that. Uh, one other thing, man, then future episode, we're going to do an AMA and Ask Me Anything Q&A. Yes, we, so do people have, have, <laughs> we do have our mail open for that. I've already gotten a question from Bloody Elbow staff member Trent Reinsmith. Uh, I refuse to acknowledge him. I'm just kidding. But we do have uh, my Twitter messages are open all the time. So please send me a message or you can directly tweet your question to me or John. John is at heynottheface at gmail.com. You can also email him questions if you don't want to message them to me. That's absolutely fine. Um, Anything you, you want to know. If you want to know how John ties his shoes left first or uh, right no, first, nothing personal. we're going pers- to let you know which shoe he starts that, that, with. That's a trade secret. I have very special <laughs> shoe tying. But anyways, please do me a favor. Again, follow this guy on Twitter at HeyNotTheFace. And until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.